Greetings again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of OSI Today, the podcast featuring news and views from around the Office of Special Investigations. I'm Wayne Amon from OSI Public Affairs, and in this edition, we continue our very special series, My OSI Journey, which showcases the diversity and inclusion of our command-wide members. And today, I'm very pleased to be joined by the Director for Organizational Development, Mr. Kenneth Salinger. Mr. Salinger, welcome aboard. Great to have you with us, and great to be speaking with you again. It's been a little while. It has been a little while, my friend, and uh, thank you so much for this uh, invitation, and uh, I'm very honored, uh, very honored uh, to be here. Thank you. Well, we're always uh, glad to talk to you, sir. Now, uh, for the benefit of our listeners right up front, uh, we're recording this podcast as you approach 40 years of service in the Air Force and OSI collectively. First of all, kudos on that longevity. And uh, a lot of people say, you know, if you do a job that you really love and enjoy, that uh, uh, time really flies by. Would that be a fair assessment of uh, your career? I I would certainly say that's a fair assessment. Uh, When I when I hear the number uh, 40 years and even for, from some of my colleagues over the years, and I think about that, just the decades of what what they have either been through or experienced, I, I, I really just, I mean, my, my mind is just like, wow, that's that's a long time. Uh, <laughs> however, uh, however, in my mind, it, it, it really does seem like yesterday that I uh, that I began my my path in the in the Air Force active duty and uh, mm-hmm. OSI and and where I'm at now. Right. Now, uh, in checking your bio, uh, and, and, and like many people within the OSI command, uh, you didn't begin in OSI to start your uh, blue suitor career, if you will. Uh, you began in another career field. Can you kind of bring our listeners up to speed as to how that came about? Uh, yes, of course. Um, I, I initially joined the Air Force. I signed on the dotted line anyway when I was 17 years old. And I was just, I grew up in a military family. Um, and I, I knew that I wanted to do something. I, at 17, it's, you know, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, but I, from what I saw around me with my, my, uh, my parents and uh, traveling around a little bit, I, I, I did understand that I enjoyed what I saw, mm-hmm. that uh, there was opportunities out there. And so I joined when I was 17, uh, came in when I was 18, actually on active duty. And then my first, uh, my first career field, which I was very, I'm very grateful for. I was an air crew life support specialist. And at uh-huh. the time, what that, what that was is essentially a combination of, um, uh, performing uh, maintenance on, uh, air crew aviation, uh, survival equipment and, mm-hmm. uh, a portion of it was ejection seats. A portion of it was parachutes. A portion of it was and the main part of it was survival kits. Right. right. Um, and then also doing uh, conducting uh, uh, continuity training for survival skills and uh, interrogation resistance and uh, those types of things. And so it was very diverse. And uh, and when I I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be, but once I got there, and especially I was assigned to fighter squadrons. My first two squadrons in the Air Force, I was assigned to. Uh, two different fighter squadrons. It was just uh, an amazing time. Uh, right. And as I look back, very, very historical time as well for me. Uh-huh. Now, uh, if memory serves on your bio, sir, uh, that happened uh, pretty much in the early 80s. Is that correct? Uh, I did. Yeah, I joined, uh, I joined in 1982. Uh-huh. And my first assignment, uh, my first active duty assignment was with the Rapid Deployment Force, uh, a squadron with the Rapid Deployment Force with the 347th tactical fighter wing and the 68th tactical fighter squadron 
at uh, Moody Air Force Base. And uh-huh. for those who don't know what the Rapid Deployment Force is, it was the uh, precursor to CENT, what is now CENTCOM. And it developed as a result of um, what had occurred when we were trying to rescue the hostages uh, in our Iran. Uh-huh. There was a need to, need to bring together a, a combined force uh, to rapidly deploy to meet those contingencies. Right. Uh, you know, I, you know, I would say like any 17, 18 year old at the time, you may not have an appreciation for what that was, but I certainly, certainly being there and being surrounded with the people that I was a lot of Vietnam veterans, uh, and, um, and doing that. And now as I look back, uh, just what an incredible experience, especially when we talk about the level of diversity and inclusiveness needed in mission operations like that. Right, right. And then you just said, sir, a uh, uh, very historical time uh, during, the, during the hostage uh, situation at that time. Now, uh, as the 80s progressed uh, uh, into the late 80s, uh, that's when you uh, switched gears uh, to, to become uh, interested in law enforcement and subsequently OSI. Now, how did that transition come about for you? Uh, it was a it was a little bit of a windy road. It wasn't a direct path. I had after my first assignment to Moody Air Force Base, I then transitioned to Misawa, Japan, uh, where the Air Force was taking over um, uh, responsibilities, I guess, up at Misawa Air Base from the Navy um, to to provide a buffer to the threat from the Soviet Union uh-huh. at that time. And so we, I was with the 13th Tactical Fighter Squadron at Misawa, which was the first. Um, the first squadron uh, to, to embed there. Right. And, and again, and just another historical experience for me and great, great opportunities. And so while there though, I, I realized I was far enough into my air force career where I realized that, you know, if I was going to continue with the air force, I, I wanted to explore something different. Sure. And, and I, I was really interested in aviation with flying and I wanted to pursue that. Uh, so I was in the process of a cross training package to be a sensor operator on uh, with with uh, special operations command uh-huh. uh, with gun, gunships and helicopters right and and during a uh, during a conversation with one of my squadron mates uh, it was a captain in our squadron who he was cross training into OSI he and I just happened to have a conversation and uh, he had said that he was cross training into OSI and I I I had little knowledge about OSI. I had a fundamental understanding, but I didn't really have a lot of knowledge. And and so he said, "Hey, you know, don't uh, you know, don't cut your path short. Why don't you go go do an interview with the OSI and and you, it may pique your interest." And so I I followed his advice and guidance, and I went over to the OSI detachment, set up a conversation, an interview. Right. And I really liked what I heard. Uh, I really liked. What appealed to me was the ability to continue to make tangible differences on an everyday basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt that that was a path uh, for me to go. So it wasn't really born out of a desire to go down a law enforcement trail right. or, or anything. It was really of, okay, what can I continue to do to serve and do something that's important? And mm-hmm. and so then they recruited me out of Misawa and I was there at the debt uh, for quite some time. And um, and then uh, then got on my OSI path. Right now, uh, like many uh, special agents, uh, you began uh, at the schoolhouse. Uh, in your case, uh, on the schoolhouse, the uh, Special Investigations Academy uh, at uh, was at Bowling Air Force Base uh, in mm-hmm. D.C. at the time. Uh, how did your uh, career uh, 
transpire from that point, you know, after you got your basic education as, as far as being a special agent? Yeah, I had, I, so I PCS'd from uh, Misawa and I immediately went over to West Germany, to Han, West Germany at the time. And uh, I was there for a few months and then went to the basic academy at Bowling. And so we, I was able to get settled down there and get, get acclimated to the detachment. And that was a good experience, actually, going to my next detachment and understanding the mission set and then going to the OSI Academy as a student uh, so that I could have better context. Uh, right. So I, right. I look back at that and go, OK, that was a good experience for me. And then especially coming off of Misawa. Uh, so I got to the academy and uh, what a uh, it was just a great experience at, at Bowling. Uh, it was almost this larger than life uh, experience for me, especially too when, you know, we're we're conducting training operations in the ma- major major metropolitan area of ma- right. Washington right. D.C. and sure. and plus two with the uh, the environment at the time between the United States and uh, the Eastern Bloc and Soviet Union and Western Bloc right. uh, allies and NATO, all of those things just culminated into an incredible experience. Uh, prior prior to going back going back to my unit at uh, at Han Air Base in right. West Germany. Right, right. Now, uh, when you began your career, Mr. Salinger, were there any specific challenges that you faced uh, once you joined OSI, and uh, uh, how did you uh, approach them to uh, to overcome them and and to flourish as a special agent? Oh, that's a great question. The I would say that the two primary challenges, as I as I look back, that I did have was the incredible fast paced um, of the operations and operations tempo. And I I don't think that that's uh, uh, anything new to our folks today, Uh, but it was just understanding how to, to prioritize better prioritize at a fast pace and working and still working together as a team uh, through all the, all all the difficulties. Uh Uh, So that, that took me a little bit to acclimate, I think. Uh, unfortunately, we had a great unit with great people and who I'm still friends with today. Oh, my uh-huh. gosh. Um, and the, probably the other thing that has been instrumental that I, I discovered about myself during that time period was that, you know, there's a we've got a, a big requirement mission need that that we talk to people, that we um, we motivate people towards gathering information uh, for our mission set. Right. And I really struggled with that. And as I reflect back and, and folks helped me, I, I really realized that I'm I'm a huge introvert at heart. I really am. <laughs> I huge. Um, wow. Some people may not realize that. Uh-huh. However, I, I don't seek out uh, large groups. I um, I am very comfortable, you know, reading a book and then just uh, gathering information and thinking and right. being quiet. And so I found that that was a significant struggle that I had at that time and that OSI further identified and they helped me in that skill set. They said, listen, if you're going to be successful, you actually have to talk to people. Right, right. So so they were very, very good with me as as I was on my probationary time period. And Uh it took a village. It took an entire village to raise (laughs) Ken Well, in in fast forwarding uh, things a little bit, sir, uh, that that kind of surprised me because, uh, again, for our uh, listeners who may not know, uh, you're uh, also a retired command chief master sergeant with OSI. In other words, the top enlisted troop within the command uh, during a few years of your uh, OSI tenure. Uh, so I would imagine that 
being a command chief also was instrumental in helping you come out of that uh, introverted shell? Would that be a fair assessment? Uh, actually, I would probably, the way I would frame it up is that that knowing knowing the uh, difficulty, I guess, or that it's not in my, you know, it's, it's not a natural thing for me to go out and seek larger crowds and small, you know, con- important conversational talk. Uh-huh. I would say that I would always have to plan for those events. I see. And, um, that I, and I still have to today. I have to, uh-huh. like anybody, I have to, have to recharge a little bit. I have to understand what, uh, you know, what I need to do to, to fulfill certain roles. And it's all good because I enjoy people. I love people. I love, you know, working together high on collaboration. Right. I think though that, that I had to recognize that, okay, it's not normal or natural. I would say in my DNA to just walk into a crowd and go, all right, let's go. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so I have to put those lessons learned that folks taught me you know, as a skill set to put those things in place to, to be the person I need to be for them. Uh-huh. So I guess for uh, you and I both uh, are very uh, sports uh, fanatics, if you will. We talk sports, uh, you know, a lot. Uh, you know, we're not doing a podcast together like this. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking that uh, uh, I hear a lot of athletes say, well, this athlete is not a vocal leader. He just leads by example. OK. And I would think that uh, that might be uh, kind of apropos in your case, uh, you know, after after uh, listening to your your story here. Uh, I would say that I try to. I, I do really believe over time that um, while we all make mistakes, that we have to we have to focus on, you know, what's important. And I think for me anyway, that I I believe that what is important is to watch watch somebody's uh, behavior and what they accomplish and try to achieve. And then on occasion, some folks. Uh, maybe maybe a little bit more vocal in areas that, that could be appropriate. However, if there's no substance be, behind it, then uh-huh. then you know there's something to pay attention to. So, sure, sure. Um, so yeah. those are just some of the things that, for me anyway, have become important. Right. Uh, what inspires you uh, to do your best uh, in OSI? Um, I would currently, I would say currently, uh, currently, what really inspires me to do my best is to help pay back to others in a way that I've been given uh-huh. um, throughout my career, whether it's with OSI or outside of the command, when I was a command chief outside of OSI, um, I have really realized that there have been so many times where folks had uh, a great deal of patience with me. They have helped build a path around me asking what my goals were and then they have used, uh, they have used, I guess, their skills and sacrifice to help me get to places where I wanted to go. Right. And uh, over time, I, I really began to value and appreciate that much, much more uh, because I may not have really realized it earlier on. And um, and so if there's anything today that I, I would like to do that really, and I, I, I often think about why am I still here? in this right. command and serving the air force and serving others that that's really what it comes down to. I, I want to vicariously live continuously to live through, um, through uh, wonderful people doing a, a hard mission uh, right. for good reasons. And then also if there's anything I can do to at least help someone achieve goals that are important, that are, that are crucial for them, then um, that's, that's, that's what makes, that's what motivates me. 
Right. And it probably answers my next question, sir. Uh, is that the most gratifying part of your job with OSI? I, I would say it is. Uh, at this point, I would really say uh, yes, that it is. Um, there, on occasion, um, uh, when General Bullard and I ha- have a call, talk and and then, you know, if they need somebody to jump on an, on an airplane uh, with a backpack, then, you know, I'm like, OK, put me in. Right. Uh, and, and, of course, and of course, General Bullitt is the uh, command, the president commander of OSI for our, for our novice well, listeners. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I'll say, hey, put me put me in. And then my wife says, no, you've already been put in enough. Stop. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but um, but, you know, recognizing the realities that that's uh, that's not my role, uh-huh. then um, then, yeah, the just being around this mission set and the people who perform it is very gratifying. Sure. Now, uh, let's go back in time a little bit, uh, if we can. Uh, if you could do it all over again, and I realize hindsight is 2020, is there anything that you would change about your OSI career? Um, there, there may be moments of things that I wish I would have done differently okay. at certain assignments, or maybe the way I, I led, or hmm, you know, just kind of going, gosh, I wish I could have a do-over right. on that particular situation. But generally speaking, I've had... I've had a very diverse and rewarding career uh, uh-huh. that that uh, just just looking back at the opportunities that people helped me attain and do and and work toward it's been it's been um, just very very gratifying and um, um, diverse. Yeah. Uh, so there's nothing there's nothing that I can at all point out that I would necessarily do different about my career. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, and, you know, I hope to, hope to continue it in, in diverse ways as well. Right. Well, that, uh, tees up my next question very nicely. And I know, uh, uh, diversity and inclusion, uh, is an area that, uh, uh, falls under your purview, uh, as director of, uh, organizational development. Um, why in your view is diversity and inclusion so foundational to the success of OSI as a command? Well, I, I think it's the bedrock. Um, that um, in terms of thinking and even about the name itself, uh, mm-hmm. diversity, uh, and as Miss Dixon, who you know we've as, Jack, just for Jackie the listeners, Dixon, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 for Jackie Dixon, just for the listeners too who may not be aware. Um, originally, as Colonel Stabler, the former OSI commander, and General Bullard, who was uh, the former uh, vice commander at the time said, you know, we need to we need to stand up a better focused uh, path on how we we make sure we're as diverse and and plus, as Miss Dixon says, diversity plus inclusion right. uh, as possible. And, you know, standing that up in a way that is better framed so that we can pursue what we need to for the OSI we need. And so that was originally done underneath the um, underneath my directorate organizational development. And more recently, we've that's been transferred over to force development okay. under uh, the direction of uh, still Miss Dixon uh, right. and Colonel Jim Colonel Jim Hudson, mm-hmm. and I think that that's a great place for it, especially when we're talking about talent management. And yeah. so for me, the bedrock when I think about the bedrock of OSI and our mission set, well, we live we live in a in a world that we need to embrace. Uh, and if there's one thing that my dad and my mom always taught me is that what can we do to surround ourselves with people who are different than the way we think, 
right. different than the way we were raised, um, come from different uh, thoughts, and and surround yourself so we're not living in a in a funnel in a stovepipe or an echo chamber. Right. And right. Uh, and so for OSI, that is just so crucial, especially with the mission set uh, and with the small teams that we operate in. And so that. And so I, I enjoy, I, that's what I think about my military and now civil service career, mm-hmm. just the opportunity to, to go and work on a, either a, um, d- on a diverse team of people that are the best that our society has to deliver. Right. And then reach success through all of the, the, the speed bumps and the potholes along the way. And then, you know, at the, at the end of the day, you look at, and you, you, you appreciate and value one another uh, yeah. and you respect one another. Um, that's that's what success looks like to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's uh, get you bring out your crystal ball and dust that off for a second, uh, uh, Mr. Salinger. What direction do you envision OSI going into the future? I know with, with the world being what it is as far as the, the many challenges and and the uh, the the very the technology that changes every day. Uh, how do you envision OSI uh, uh, and their way ahead? Uh, the way ahead. I uh, let me pull out my crystal ball here. Um, <laughs> I knew you had one. <laughs> I do. And um, you know, I think that the direction we're heading now is is what I envision in terms of uh, the crystal ball. Uh, when I first came into when I first came into OSI, we had. We had specialists uh, within the agents, the special agent field. We did have some specialists. And generally speaking, the larger amount of our force were general, you know, generalized special agents that we can right. kind of think, oh, all right, well, you know, we'll plug them in somewhere and they'll, we'll give them some skills and they'll adapt. One of the things in the past that we were missing was bringing in, and this is this is why I'm so proud of our command over time. We we brought in our intelligence specialists. We brought in our information management specialists and administrators. Right. We began to bring in more specialized fields that were that were careers, and understanding that that everybody has a role and a mission qualification that we needed for this command. Right. So, so we're already down that path, especially under the leader, our, our current top four leadership, uh, building on what's been built before. Uh, so, crystal ball wise, I would say that we're going to be end up having to become a little bit more specialized in certain areas, whether it's mm-hmm. you know criminal forensics, uh, cyber, our cyber intrusion, our cyber abilities, yeah. um, you know, all of those specialties, and that's that's going to be a hard balance. I, it's going to be difficult, but, you know, but good things, difficult things uh, mean that that everybody has to get together and think about how that's going to be done. Sure. Uh, so crystal ball wise. Yeah, we're I really see that we're increasingly having to focus on what does it mean to be mission qualified to give people the skill set to to focus on those challenges. And um, that's that's where I like I said, under the leader or leadership and moving forward. That's where I see that we're going to continue to go. I see. Now, uh, going from your crystal ball to uh, a recruiting hat, what advice would you mm-hmm. give someone who would like to join OSI? 
Oh, uh, the, the advice I would give, probably the, probably the advice I was given when, uh, when I was struggling while I was on uh, probation uh, for, uh, as a special agent, I would say that the advice I would give is to ask and make sure and be very clear what your role is. You know, what does success look like to you? Um, embrace it and then work hard and work hard as a team. Yeah. And listen. And then also when you have something of value that you know is needed, provide it, you know, be assertive in that. Right. I think that one of the, one of the, one of the problem set areas that I encountered that kind of went along with my, uh, my innate ability to be an introvert <laughs> was, um, was, uh, and many times I wasn't as assertive in some areas that I needed to be. Uh-huh. There were, there were maybe some skills and talents that I brought to the command or force that, that I thought were valuable, but I didn't, I, I didn't have the level of professional, I would say assertiveness to go, Hey, I, I think that I can help here. And right. so as right. I, so as I think back, I would say that anybody who wants to come in OSI, number one, do it, do it for the right reasons. Right. And then when you get there, understand the realities that it's hard work. And then work hard as a team. Right. Uh, that that will carry the day. Right. And it seems to me also, Mr. Salinger, that uh, education would play a large part in that. And I say that because when I looked at your biography, uh, I was very impressed with uh, your the, the level of education that you've acquired. You not only hold a BS in justice and public safety from Auburn University in Montgomery, uh, a Master of Arts in Communication and Leadership, uh, Organizational Development from Gonzaga University, a graduate certificate in instructional design and project management from the University of Wisconsin Stout. And this is the one that really uh, caught my attention. You're currently pursuing a Master of Arts in Fine Art, Classical Realism, Traditional Painting and Drawing from the Academy of Art and University. Now, I have to ask you, sir, how did that, how did that all come about? Though? Where did that interest come out? <laughs> uh, you mean the education in general or the art? Well, well no, actually, actually the, the, the classic realism and traditional painting and drawing, it just seems like it really stood out from uh, the more traditional yeah. types of things that uh, you might uh, consider a special agent uh, uh, to possess in, in their right. toolbox. Yeah, well, if I could, uh, I would like to, I'll, I'll get there in terms of that, because there is a specific reason, which is uh, my wife, uh, my wife and my mom's actually encouragement. Oh, okay. uh, I would say about, <laughs> I would say, here's the part too that uh, about education. Um, my, my mom, especially, and, and my dad uh, valued reading and education a lot. Uh, my mom was the first, first person out of our our family to have gone to a graduate from a two-year school and uh, college, you know, the idea of college was not a normal thought in in our family. It was right. really more towards, hey, you, you work and the money's not there. You work, you work hard and uh, just just be good to people. Right. right. And, so in, and so in high school, um, I went to summer school twice, uh, two different times my, wow. uh, for English, for English. Uh-huh. And it wasn't, it wasn't because I couldn't do it. It was just because I just didn't have the interest and I didn't right. have this stick to goodness. And, and so those, and so my dad and mom sat down and said, Hey boy, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. you, you know, you, you need to, you need to really think about your future 
and sure. working hard at education too uh-huh. along the way. Right. And so that stuck with me. But I will say this. When I went to summer school twice for English, I did really, really good in summer school. And uh, yeah. very, so, uh, very good. There you go. See, perseverance paid off. <laughs> and I say that kind of uh, jokingly because uh, that had an implant on my mind. But then once I got in the military, I really realized that, oh, you know, to, to be successful at whatever skill set, whether it was survival training or whatever, you had to you had to know what you were doing. Uh, yeah, from yeah. a training and education perspective. So that guided me long term in trying to figure out how could I be as well as I could at my job with the education and then also attaining. And, and, and part of it, too, was I wanted to make my mom and dad proud sure. and my kids. Sure. Be a good sure. role model for my kids. There you go. There you go. Leading, so leading by example, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in terms of the art, um, my wife, who's wonderful, uh, her name's Aletha. Um, at a certain point when I was coming off of active duty, uh, she pointed out a very good observation. Uh, she had observed that that both the military and the OSI had essentially become my identity, uh-huh. uh, that, that I was coming up on some form of transition and she she said she was like, dude, you you got to figure out what you want to do for you and for us long term. Yeah. So what outside of your doing, <laughs> what is it you're doing <laughs> in the military and for the OSI and for us, would you like to pursue? And uh, and so my mom was an artist. Uh, uh-huh. I didn't I didn't do that growing up, but the influence was there. And I said, well, you know, I I kind of like this. Yeah. And so. When we came here to Quantico in Fredericksburg, Virginia, she hooked me up with a local artist that um, was very good. And uh, he began teaching me how to do artwork. And then I got to a point where I really enjoyed it. And I realized there's life out there outside of what we do with our work and right, you know, in other right. areas. And we got to pursue what's important to us. Sure. And I got to a degree where I built a portfolio and uh, applied for um uh, Master of Fine Arts and got accepted. Wow! And long term, that's what I'd like to pursue. Outstanding! And uh, see, you never know what uh, little nuggets you're going to uh, discover <laughs> when we do a, when we do a, a personality podcast like this, Mr. Salinger. Before we wrap things up, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Um, well, I I think that the big thing that I would like to add especially any for anybody who's beginning their careers and wanting to pursue uh, what they, they enjoy in doing it for all the right reasons. Um, number don't lose yourself. And it goes back to what I was talking about in terms of the art, right. art program and things like that. Um, keep focused on what you want in terms of what's important for you and, and whoever's important to you. Don't lose them along the way. Uh-huh. Um, and because along the way, as people say, if if you've had a great career and then you're done and you look around and all the important people in your life aren't there, uh-huh. um, how successful was it? Right. So I I would like to say, and I've got a cof- coffee cup here in front of me uh, that <laughs> says this. It's, it's the, the one word, grateful. Uh-huh. Uh, just be grateful. Uh, being grateful to be here and being grateful for what you do in a very, very tough environment. And, uh, sure. and so that, that is essentially it. So I would like to tell everybody, Hey, thank you for, for allowing me to be on this road. And, and I'm grateful for you. Very well said. 
Our guest has been the Director of Organizational Development, Mr. Ken Salinger. Sir, thanks again for taking the time to be with us. It was great to uh, uh, share a few minutes with you again. Well, thank you so much, and, uh, and, and have a fantastic day. And thanks to all of you listening for tuning in. For OSI Today, my OSI journey, I'm Wayne Amon saying so long for now.